You are listening to the Criterion Creeps uh, with your co-host, me, Jarrett Duncan, and my co-host, RJ Baylog. Hi, RJ. Hello, Jarrett. How are you? I am fantastic. Um, so this is the inaugural episode of our new podcast series that hopefully runs forever and doesn't die a death, like so many other podcasts that I looked up online in research to make sure that we weren't just wasting our time doing well-trodden uh, territory. Yeah. So what do you think about that? I think it's pretty good. I mean, I didn't do any research myself because, frankly, I don't really... I don't roll like that, Jared. I just put my trust into other people. And, you know, if you say it's good to go, then I think we're good. Well, you know, I, I think when I was like kind of writing up a little description of the type of show that we're going to be doing, I think I described you as the sassy one. Ooh, I have been described uh, as such in many ways. Um, I guess I should describe myself to the audience. Uh, I'm a 26-year-old male. Uh, I'm a fan of movies where men uh, work out in very sweaty montages uh and i'm also a fan of adult situations so i guess that's pretty much me in a nutshell if well, you're wondering I, I think all both those things qualify you to be a, a collector of uh criterion collection dvds and blu-rays then i'm pretty sure that um that orson wells guy said that the only thing that a movie really needs is some hot abs so i think that's pretty much what the basis of the criterion collection was <laughs> Um, was that a, uh, one of those interviews that he did with Peter Bogdanovich? Uh, it might've been Bog. Yeah, yeah. it might've been Bog. Uh, I, I don't have the details, but I, I'd say probably. Okay. Uh, that sounds yeah. legit. Uh, I won't mm-hmm. question it any further. So I'm uh, Jarrett. I am a 32 going on 33 year old male. Um, I like movies and comics and work at a comic store and, the money I make when I'm not working goes into uh, buying mo- more movies than I have room to keep, which is probably a very common uh, phenomena amongst listeners uh, and other people who are into Criterion Collection stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's about it. But uh, I guess, I mean, the chances that you're listening to a podcast called The Criterion Creeps and you don't know what The Criterion Collection is, it's pretty slim and marginal. And I doubt that even by this point, you're still listening. Um, But a brief little recap uh, that I did in all my uh, research, which took me to Wikipedia, um, Mm. simply states, yeah, I know. uh, High quality research, my friend. That's podcast journalism right there. So uh, just the first paragraph, uh, the Criterion Collection, or simply Criterion, is an American home video distribution company which focuses on licensing, quote unquote, important classic and contemporary films. And my favorite part is and selling them to film aficionados. Uh, Oh, yes. (laughs) You got to you got to put that in there, because if it's not actually for sale, then what's the point? Right. Well, that's what man. We'll we'll talk about that. Um, This year, one other thing Yeah, Criterion is noted for helping to standardize the letterbox format for widescreen films, bonus features, commentary tracks and special editions for home video. So uh, I guess the first thing like this is like the film and aficionados thing is like it's something I'm really aware of with like Criterion Collection is like there's like a there's a type of person that the Criterion Collection is definitely uh, marketed toward, and it's kind of like marketed toward a group of people that probably don't think of themselves as easily marketed to. 
which I find right. is like I think they're like kind of brilliant actually in like having created a a product um, that appeals to people who kind of like would resist like I don't know mainstream studio marketing techniques, right. Um, and it's like, I don't know, I, I hate to start kind of going down the rabbit hole of like thinking about what the people who put out these movies think about people who buy their movies. Um, cause then it's like, oh, I'm starting to talk about me <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. oh, and then things start getting real dark maybe. Um, well, that's where the creep element comes into play is anyone who self identifies as a creep and a film aficionado is a borderline sad bastard, as you know, <laughs> as and I mean, lawyer. That's probably our target audience as well. So, I mean, I bet they can relate. So, uh, essentially what RJ and I are saying is that welcome to the Sad Bastard Club. Correct. Yeah. Uh, we take your weak, your poor, your sick, uh, your, you know, your schlubs, <laughs> everything in between. Your Joe Lunch Pails. Your Joe Lunch Pails, the Miguel Sanchez's of the world. Yeah. 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 That's about it. Yes, that's, but, that, that sums her up, I guess. But I think your intro is good right there because, like, you know, some people might not know about what the Criterion Collection is because my mom's going to listen to this and she sure <laughs> don't know what that is. So I'll be like, hey, Ma, I'm on this thing. And she's going to listen to it and she'll be like, are you Italian? I'll be like, no. <laughs> and then I'll, I don't know why I do accents like that when I talk to my mom, but I guess it's just fun. <laughs> but she'll listen and she'll, you'll give a very good description. She'll be like, I get, okay, I get it. That's what you do in your spare time, I guess. Well, down I mean, in, I, and of course, I gotta have to like note too. It's like, well, I mean, the perfect jumping on point to upstarts uh, to start off your Criterion collection is there's like that like five thousand dollar the first like whatever it is five hundred Criterion box set they did. I can't remember how many it was, but it was like this ridiculous box set, and it's just like I don't know what form i think it's like mm. maybe a gigantic box of dis- yeah. discs which it's is got just... like 300 i think okay yeah and i just yeah. remember like this is like one of those things that just like uh yep i guess like some people i mean it'd be great for a library i guess um but yeah actually we'll talk about libraries here in a second too um yeah. just like yeah i mean if you go to like the criterion dot uh, com website, there's like you you can go to their, like their mission statement, and I mean it basically just runs through what their goals are. Um, and yeah. I mean, what is it? A continuing series of important classic and contemporary films. Uh, the Criterion Collection has been dedicated to gathering up the greatest films from around the world and publishing them in editions that offer the highest technical quality and award winning original supplements. Um, and I mean, yeah, I mean they've been in business since like the mid eighties. They started uh-huh. with Laserdisc. They were putting out like King Kong, Citizen Kane, back when Warner Brothers uh, really d- wasn't going to do it. And so, I mean, I guess they were licensing out stuff uh, like old movies that people, of course, like why would why would anyone ever want to watch King Kong or Citizen Kane ever in their lives um, when they could watch Batman? <laughs> uh, I agree with that completely because I have never seen Citizen Kane, but I can tell you right now I've seen Batman v Superman a number of times. And you know what? <laughs> For my dollar, I'm gonna watch Ben Affleck do some sweet pull-ups over Orson Welles with that snow globe any day of the week. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I think like I mean that's like that uh, that that's throwback to uh, your comments about uh, Orson Welles and talking about getting jacked. I think with Peter Bog. Uh, yeah, it, and, it all uh, comes back around. No, yeah. it's a circle. He learned his lesson. I mean, yeah, yeah. RKO. They just went, hey, buddy, uh, we're gonna we're gonna uh, dump this out on you, and yeah, I mean, the, the rest is history. Yeah, that's uh, that's how uh, Warner Brothers got started in uh, 1982. 
not a lot of people know that. So, uh, so. Uh, just before uh, we started here, uh, I was reading a little bit about uh, one of the co-owners, I guess, of uh, Criterion, uh, Aline Stein. Uh, she, uh, mm-hmm. Apparently, I was reading this like little like uh, like uh, uh, keynote speaker bio thing that they had because she was coming to speak somewhere about like one of her like uh, other lines of work, which I guess is like scholastics and stuff like that. Um, and uh, in this little write up, there's this thing saying uh, the Criterion has become known as the Rolls Royce of home video. Uh, I, I thought I would share that. Um, That's a hot label, man. I know, is, uh, I've I, never been called the Roy's, uh, Rolls Royce of anything. No, like, no. Maybe sitting on the toilet. I'm the Rolls Royce of that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're getting into that territory, like a Humvee or I don't know, like a bug. That would be more appropriate, but mm-hmm. that's a pretty hot label, man. Like that's it's sexy. That, that is hot. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, so, I guess the next thing I would probably want to throw out there is how did you find out about the Criterion Collection, RJ? Well, my story is not very interesting, but I'm going to tell it anyways. And uh, frankly, it might put people off because once I tell it, they're going to be like, "We're going to listen to this asshole." He doesn't even know what he's talking about. Um, I found it six years ago, maybe seven. I was in an HMV, and I saw the criterion for Terrence Malick's Thin Red Line. And I saw the cover, and I was like, whoa, that's a cool-ass cover. So uh, I bought that bad boy. And then I think a whole year passed before I realized it wasn't just the movie, but it was something else. It was part of a, a collection of movies. Oh, yeah, that's oh, yeah, spine numbers, baby. Yeah, so that really opened it up, and then from there I just, you know, jumped in. But uh, I think it took me a whole year of owning that thing before I actually realized what it was. I just wanted it because it looked cool, and I find that's actually, for a lot of the Criterions, that's actually why I buy a lot of them. It just looks cool. Yeah, so. no, that's, uh, I mean... I guess like my first, uh, when I became aware of them was like back in high school, like so 99 and grade 10, I guess I started like wanting to become more interested in film. Um, I made friends with a guy uh, who I'm still friends with to this day. And uh, he just like lived a block or so away from me. And like he started like kind of lending me movies because he'd kind of already been starting to like uh, bridge out towards like more interesting stuff than what's like playing at the uh, multiplex uh, on a Friday, uh, which is like kind of how I spent basically my junior high is like every weekend going to see like whatever old crap was kind of playing. And um, I guess like through that friend, um, he kind of like, I don't know, just started, man, he lent me like uh, Dawn of the Dead or Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2. I mean, not like particularly like high-minded works or anything like that, but like movies that like just were totally different than me. And then like, I don't know, uh, starting to become more aware of like Roger Ebert because I mean he's sort of like the the populist slash like most well known film critic in North America of the time, right. and uh, so I started like he had started I think right around then doing his great movies uh, series like every two weeks on the uh, uh, Sun Times website, and I mean like every Friday it was like oh gotta load up the old uh, DSL. Um, uh, dial-up internet that they had at the high school library computer lab and hopefully the sometimes website would be up because back in the day websites could just be down for days and you wouldn't know it or uh they're overloaded with too many people trying to log on to read reviews maybe mm-hmm. but uh like every two weeks he'd have his great movies re- reviews and i was always like okay okay so these are like the really good movies i guess if i want to be like uh, a very uh, you know a worth talking to person who knows knowledge about movies maybe i should 
listen to what Roger Ebert says. And uh, like all these movies he would bring up, I would be like, oh, cool. How do I get a hold of one of these? And at mm-hmm. that time, um, living where uh, we live, uh, it's like there's video stores. Like basically you were at like whatever Blockbuster had. Um, and I guess the other thing, though, that uh, I discovered was that the public library had a lot of these movies on VHS. And at the time, like all these were old VHS tapes with really like if they were like uh, foreign films. They had pretty terrible subtitles like they wouldn't have yeah. like a black drop shadow to the white text. So there'd be mm-hmm. times like where if it's like white on white, it's impossible to read. And some yeah. of those, like, so, I mean, I remember like watching Seven Samurai that way. But like that was um, I think at the time that was like uh, Janus films or Janus films, however, that's actually pronounced. So, uh, I. I like to say Janus. Yeah, Janus. Uh, Janus. I don't yeah. know if that's actually correct, but I, I just thought I'd interrupt you to say Janus. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's all. That's fine. Well, I, now that you say that too, I'm like, I think there was like a like uh, New Teen Titans like comic miniseries or uh, storyline that was like the Janus directive with Deathstroke and stuff. So oh, he'd be the one uh, old <laughs> death, old Strokey with the Janus. Yeah. Well, I yeah. guess like maybe he was like a Criterion fan. Um, I don't know. You, you'll never know what yeah. was Josh or yeah, maybe, maybe. So maybe. yeah. Uh, so yeah, like at the time, so at the, at that point in time, I mean like it was like, okay, I want to watch this movie called the third man. That's like so well regarded. And like the only real way of watching that was like old crappy VHS tapes. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say I hate VHS tapes. Cause I know there's people who love them, but I mean, I'd like to see the movies clearly and stuff like that. And I mean, that's all I watched was VHS for years and years and years, but going back to it, it's kind of a struggle for me. But, uh, yeah. there's like, I started noticing that there's like, Oh, there's this like criterion collection. And the reason why this also jumped out at me was like, Oh, they seem to put out like only like good movies. They have like little like numbers on the spine and they're also goddamn fucking expensive because back in like, uh, so when I would have been able to start buying those movies back in 2002, uh, the Canadian exchange rate was like brutal. Like we're talking like 60% exchange rate from like, uh, from us dollar to Canadian dollar. So, uh, something like the seventh seal on DVD would cost you 62.99 at, uh, A and B sound at the time, which is like, Oh, that's uh, I'd have to work six hours, essentially an entire shift at a job, um, to uh, be able to f- buy one, <laughs> one movie. Yeah, but I mean the example you gave, Seventh Seal, that's some sweet ass Bergman stuff. That's worth it. Well, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I think that's worth I, it. But I, I did buy. I mean, I, that's like one of the first uh, uh, criterions I probably would have bought yeah. way back when. Um, like the one mm-hmm. thing was too was like back A uh, and B Sound. Uh, was just like for people who don't remember or don't know it was just like a uh, music and electronics and uh, dvd store and i mean i think they were like originally like a bc based company and they had some stores uh in alberta and i remember like it was on long weekends every long weekend uh amb sound would actually have a like discount weekend so everything was on sale but it was like 10 percent yeah. for white label t- or for 10% for orange label and 20% off of white labels and criterions are always the white labeled because they never went on sale. And I just remember like, that was like the exciting day to go into AMB sound on a long weekend to scoop up a uh, criterion for like, you know, $12 less than it normally was. So, I mean, piece by piece, I would accumulate some criterion stuff. Um, mm-hmm. just cause at that time, I mean, it was like, Oh, that's the only way to really watch them. There was no other opportunity. I mean, something like, uh, when Netflix was just still like a, um, 
DVD like distribution company where they would just mail stuff out. Yeah. Like like it was like kind of expensive to do in Canada. And at the time when I was Mm -hmm. really interested in watching this stuff, there was no other way of doing it. I mean, uh, even like, uh, say for instance, through like illegal means of like uh, downloading movies, um, it was like really tough to find a lot of this stuff. Like it just, these movies didn't exist um, online or like really would take like uh, days to download something. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, w- I wanted a physical copy of it or, or I would rather rent it, but that was just simply not in the cards. Yeah, well, the people who were putting out those downloads, they weren't really going for hot movies like uh, what we're covering tonight. They're, you know, they were doing the flubbers. Those those were the movies that everyone was downloading. But you, you do make <laughs> a good point about the price. Like the one thing I didn't add when I was talking about uh, when I got Thin Red Line was... Uh, I had seen it in HMV for months and it was like $42. And every time I saw it, I was like, Ooh man, I really want that. I'm a Terrence Malick fan. That cover is super cool. I love that movie. But $42 is pretty, pretty steep for that. So I looked at it for a couple months and then one day I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to get it. So even then when it came, so maybe seven years ago, it dropped like $20. Even then it's, I guess close to what it is now. Like, if you get one fresh off the press, what is it like thirty six, Canadian? Or yeah, yeah, that's it's a, around. If, if you get on Amazon.ca, which like they're I think like thirty seven bucks right now. Yeah, yeah. So you, you got you really got to take advantage of those uh those sale days. Yeah, Check your those, your cart uh, every day. Yep. Yeah. There's that. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, this shouldn't be news to anybody who's uh, listening to a Criterion podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, your months are July and November to mark those off on your dates because that's when the Barnes and Noble uh, Criterion sale hits for the whole month and you get stuff off 50%. So yeah, that's like totally when I think most people clean up because they're, uh, unless you were desperate for like, if you're like uh, such a fan of a movie when it gets first released and you just want to mm-hmm. watch it, um, like I think most people, they're just buying them and putting them on the shelf and like one day getting to them. I mean, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't get everything because there's so many. But yeah, you pick and choose and you just fill in those gaps. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. And then I think Criterion, I think twice a year, like for 24 hours, they do their 50% off sale on their website itself. Um, and the one thing that stinks is that they don't really do Canadian shipping or they're, they're, I think it's their Canadian shipping super expensive. Uh, yeah, I have done it before. And I think for a parcel with... I, I paired up with my roommate, so we split it, which was a little bit easier. But I think the box had, let's say, eight, uh, eight items in it. Yeah. So I think the shipping, shipping and customs, like it, it, all that stuff, I think it came out to like twenty nine plus, maybe thirty five dollars, something like that. So Eesh. it's like the price of an entire extra movie you're paying on the shipping. Right. And we did it because you know it was the only way we could get that stuff. So sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you got to take a little bit out of yourself, tighten your belt a little bit just to get some of those sweet movies, you know? That's the kind of dedication the Criterion Creeps is all about. That's dedication, man. You take advantage of those mm-hmm. sales. So, you know? I mean, I think you've already answered this question, but I was going to ask you what was the first Criterion you bought? But it sounds like uh, being a Malik man, um, yeah. that that would have been the thin red line. Yeah, I'm a bit, I'm a, I, I self-identify as a fan of Big T, yeah. Uh, that's what um, his close personal friends call him, Big T. Uh, so yeah, it was the Thin Red Line. Um, I couldn't even tell you what the second one I got was, but uh, that was it. So it was a good one for me. I liked it. 
It's, it's memorable. It, yeah. I, I wish I could legitimately answer that question. I really, I don't remember clearly which one it would have been. Like it might very well have been the seventh seal, but I mm-hmm. think I just remember like, especially the like first printing of that movie, like the old original uh, DVD, it had a really nice cover with death. Just like, that's all it is. It's just this figure yeah. of death on the cover. Fan, it's like, I like it better than the uh, Blu-ray um, re, like the, when it got like re-released. Max Boncito. Yeah. I, I prefer yeah. the old cover. Yeah, I but, agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just good. Yeah. Cause it might've been that or like walk about or like something like carnival of souls. Um, it's just something like something like Ghoul, ghoulish movies. Ghouls. Both of those. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't think walkabout is a ghoulish movie, come back on episode 10 and I'll tell you all about it. Yeah. Come yeah. back in uh, about uh, two months or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and man. you'll see how, how ghoulish that movie truly oh, is. We're, we're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I think that's a good little preamble to the Criterion Collection and to kind of what we're going to be talking about. Um, sure. So, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, what have you been creeping on this week, RJ? Creeping on? Ooh, I've been creeping on all sorts of stuff, Jer. Um, I guess the big creep, uh, this will timestamp the show a little bit, but... Uh, the big movie to come out this week was DC Warner Brothers Suicide Squad. Oh, so yeah. I went to that. Uh, I went to a matinee on Friday. Yep. Uh, I was supposed to go with my nephew, but he bailed on me. Mm. So I went by myself like the creep that I am. Yeah, I missed your uh, uh, desperate text of having a ticket. Yeah, I was trying to get someone to go with me. Um, not because like eating it on the ticket was fine, but uh, I just didn't want to be that creep. Because um, I've gone to movies alone before. I don't mind it that much. But for something like that, uh, and I think it was fitting because the audience was lots of other single, well, well older than me, but single older dudes and then like teen <laughs> girls. Yeah. So uh, I definitely felt like a creep. But, uh, you know, I bought myself a popcorn. I sell it in and I just, I let them watch. Um, yeah. It was pretty distracting. I was asked to leave. But uh <laughs> Whatever. I I don't have to impress those people, and I don't have to impress you, you know? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I went to that Suicide Squad movie. Um, there's not much to say about it. Uh, I wrote a review. Uh, one day we'll have a link to our res- uh, respected uh, letterboxed accounts with our reviews on there, so well, if anyone not, is well, really not, interested. Not not just one day. We can just do it right now. What, what's your handle there on the uh, letterboxed? At Barnloaf? Uh, yeah, it is Barnloaf, uh, exactly as it sounds. So you can find me on Letterboxd and the, and the Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I'll be quite active on there. But on Letterboxd, I, I wrote a review for uh, um, Suicide Squad, and then I also um, I did a cardinal sin, and I wrote uh, my version of Suicide Squad, which I hate when people do that. They're like, here's my version of this movie. But I really felt uh, like um, obligated to do it because after I watched that movie, I was like, you know, there's so many different things you could have done that would have just worked a little bit better. And not necessarily that it's a bad movie, but I think it's kind of common knowledge now that it was meddled with a lot. So Hmm. there's, there's just things like that. But overall, it's fine. Um, it plays out like maximum overdrive, I think. Uh, it, <laughs> like if you if you are a dude who enjoys like cocaine or uppers or speed or something, you and will, Stephen King, and Stephen King, uh, yeah, you will absolutely eat that shit up because every three seconds 
there is a song change there is strobe lights and neon like it, it it plays out like the craziest beyonce music video you've ever seen in your entire life um so that's my hot take on the suicide wow. squad yeah i mean everything you said there just like yeah it doesn't make me want to see it uh <laughs> yeah i i mean i didn't want to see it a week ago and it's like uh, i mean i have no problems with the dc movies as anything like they're just the same they're the same as the marvel movies um yeah but i just there yeah i just like looked like a movie that just like wasn't to my taste and i'm just going to continue probably not watching it anytime soon Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of where i'm leaving it at i think well i'm gonna push it on you eventually because i think you should watch it um it is not the uh great flex show that bvs was but i mean (laughs) it it has some merit it's just Overall, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. So that that's basically what I was creeping on. Wow. Uh, what what about you? Boy. Um. Well, I don't know if there's anything particular I want to bring up. I guess of uh, note, I rewatched the uh, Fulci Gates of Hell trilogy, which uh, mm. constitutes City of the Living Dead, uh, The Beyond, and The House by the Cemetery. And I, I, I really made a, a noob mistake. Uh, for some Ooh. reason, yeah... I, a few weeks ago, I'd watched Zombie in the midst of a Wes Anderson rewatch because uh, that's what you do. Yeah. Oh, and um, yeah, and then I was like, kind of like, you know, I think I want to watch The Beyond again. But I'm like, ah, you know, if I'm going to watch The Beyond again, I should probably watch City of the Living Dead uh, first. So I watched that, and then like I got in my mind somehow that the House by the Cemetery was next, but I, that's just not accurate. I mean, uh, House by the Cemetery and The Beyond both came out the same year, but apparently, like they one came out before the other in the calendar year within mm-hmm. it. So, uh, yeah, I watched them out of order, but it doesn't matter at all um, because there's no like cohesion between the three whatsoever um, other right. than they're both directed by the same guy and there's lots of fog. Um, but, yeah, uh, City of the Living Dead remains kind of my least favorite of the three. Um, it's got one of, like, the sickest things I've ever seen in a movie, uh, the first time I ever watched it. Um, and I don't know if I really want to delve into it too much, but, yeah, it's just, like, oh, it's a junky movie. Um, it's, like, yeah. kind of boring. And it's okay, though. It's, it's like, super watchable because Fulci just, like, the way he decides to shoot stuff and there's enough things happening that you kind of don't lose interest, but it's kind of right. junky. Um, House by the Cemetery, um, it's, like, probably his most entertaining of those three. Like strictly, mm-hmm. like you could probably like it's more like a slasher. Um, yeah, you get it. You get to hear uh, the word Bob, the name Bob, uh, said many, many times, as you do is in a City of the Living Dead. You really get to hear about Bob. Um, the one downside with like both all three of the releases, um, and I didn't actually check this on the Beyond, but like they all uh, have only the English audio dub option, which I don't know if there's actually an Italian dub, which I think would have might have been more palatable, like to list listen to like Italian actors talk in Italian yeah. and then have subtitles and kind of yeah, get, yeah. or but there's something about English dub in Italian movies it's like oh it's so cheap and badly done that I mean some people mm-hmm. that's appealing to them but to me it's just like oh like it's they're always like they're really phoned in like there's no like yeah per, there's, there's not really great performers uh doing those dubs back in the day they, ha- yeah. they haven't updated it I mean yeah, I remember like one of the classic th- things was always the uh, Akira, the uh, 1980s American release, always had like kind of like the uh, comedic, because they had like, uh, I don't know, like the guy does the voice of like Leonardo on the Ninja Turtles doing voices, and it's super oh, inappropriate yeah, yeah. voicing, like Cam Clark yeah. or something like that. And like, people just always make fun of the dubs on that old anime stuff. And in live action, it's even more distracting. 
Um, yeah, but. I agree with you. I don't like that either. Um, I don't like the hammy dubbings. Like, I know some people go into that stuff specifically for that. Like, they watch it for, for some, I don't know, people who like to rig on things. Like, I feel like that's the same with uh, that Mystery Science 3000, Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen that, but the reason is when it was explained to me uh, that they watch these old, like, kaiju Japanese movies and they just kind of rag on them the whole yes. time. Uh, I have always been a fan of that stuff, yep. so I don't really know why I would want to watch somebody make fun of it for two hours. Yeah. Um, so it's, I, I find, I don't know, maybe I'm off, but I find people who kind of watch movies for the, like the silly dubs or like the silly translations or whatever, are the same kind of people who watch that kind of stuff. And I've never really, never really jived like that because I genuinely like those things. So, uh, I don't know. I don't like Reagan on it, I guess. Like sometimes it's fine, but yeah, I'd um, rather just watch it. That's all. For sure. Um, yeah, I guess like, and with the beyond, I mean, it's kind of got the same problems as city of the, or yeah, city of the living dead, but it's got like one of the best endings ever. Like I, oh, I love yeah. that ending so, so much. Um, mm. it's so good. It's got some like, I don't know. It's got these like effects that are like, so like hilariously bad. Actually, all three of the movies yeah. have like something that like anything <laughs> involving animals is like particularly like hilarious. Like it just takes mm-hmm. you out of it. Like it doesn't work. And I mean, it's not like uh, watching these things in HD on Blu-ray, like really do these effects any favors, but I remember them looking terrible, like on video years ago. So it's not like it's right. exposing to too much. It is what it is. And it's mm-hmm. got its charm. It's all, it's there. But I mean, like, yeah. th- those aren't the problems of the movies. Like the problems are like more kind of like weird, loose, scripts like they're just like kind of hanging well, sloppy movies but i mean that's fine like i like that too yeah. like it's, it's a movie that i could like it's not gonna be my one of my favorite movies ever like any of these three movies but mm-hmm. i mean as far as full cheese goes i think like the only one that i think i genuinely really love is the black cat that movie i think is super good right um but it's yeah. also because i like cats well who doesn't like a good well, kitty that i will throw out there is the criterion creeps are friends to all cats we are, yeah, we're feline companions in this world, so yep. Friends you, you'll felines. hear about that uh, very frequently, so yeah. if, if you're not down with the kitty cat game, then fuck off. I don't know, I don't know if this podcast is for you. No, yeah, but, no, uh, really, really, like, yeah. fuck off. Yeah. Um, one last but movie. No, so, yeah, I agree with you on uh, all fronts uh, for those things. Um, yeah, because I, I lent you all these, I think, in the, over the last you did. two Halloweens. Yeah, uh, you did, and I actually, I think I watched them in the chronological order that you so foolishly ignored, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I agree, City of the Living Dead is the stinker of the bunch, and not that it's bad, uh, it's just, as you said, it kind of like, it doesn't make sense, there's a lot of scenes that like go into other scenes that have nothing really to do with the movie, and so you're kind of left wondering what's happening, and the ending is fucking ridiculous it's the most confusing like yep. like it just you have to see it to believe or to know what i'm talking about but you see it and you're just like i don't understand nope i don't understand but uh though the one thing i'll say is all three of those movies have fantastic openings and fantastic. amazing scores amazing scores fantastic yeah. openings and easy or something like that yeah yeah and even like city of the living dead has your the gross out scene you mentioned is by uh bar none the best of that kind i won't spoil it but <laughs> that kind of gross out it's the grossest one you'll ever see yeah it's um, it's up there but yeah the beyond has an amazing ending and uh i actually i think i liked house by the cemetery the most i don't really know what it yeah, is that's maybe my it's, favorite yeah it, it's maybe just it's like that that like 
kid is like ah! and he's always like whining and stuff and it's just entertaining and, and, I don't know. and, you, and you have a man who's pretending to be a child <laughs> yeah uh, so it. that that one's pretty fun got but it, yeah man. i agree with your hot takes there yeah uh i guess one last uh two two quick quick ones okay so because yep. we should move on um sure. i watched uh the film brew baker from 1980 uh not starring ed brew baker but starring robert redford uh who's a uh, it's kind of weird because it's like it, in the movie, it's like almost like it ruins the first 20 minutes in some ways of knowing that he's like a warden. But it's like mm-hmm. in all everything you read about this movie, he's the warden. But what happens is the first 20 minutes, half hour, it's it's uh, Robert Redford's character. Uh, he kind of infiltrates the jail as a prisoner pretending to be uh, an inmate. But he's just wanting to see how the uh, place actually runs because it's just like oh. it's a corrupt southern uh, like uh, for-profit uh, jail prison or I guess prison right. um, and it's like the first like 20 minutes half hour are dark and like de- mean and squalid and depressing like it's really really good and mm-hmm. then then he then you get the reveal I guess he tells starts telling people I'm the warden and he soon starts taking like up the reins of like reforming this uh, corrupt uh, prison and the movie's just really, really good. Like, man, I sometimes like I pop. I, I mean, I watch a lot of old movies, and I didn't. I, I had no idea what I expected from this, other than I'm a real sucker for uh, prison movies. I like. I'll yeah. watch anything that's a prison movie at least once. Um, yeah. And I'm like, eh, Robert Redford, he's okay, I guess. And I didn't really know anything about this movie, but yeah, it's like fantastic. It's got Yap at Kodo, M M at Walsh. Uh, it's just a ton of uh, Morgan Freeman, like one of his like kind of early Man. acting roles. Yeah, and like he's just like in it for I don't know three minutes tops. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, the movie is like fantastic, like super good. I can't believe I haven't like had more people like tell me you should watch this. Um, but that was great. And then uh, another really great movie I watched was uh, John Milius's Dillinger from 1973. Um, my friend has the Arrow uh films Blu-ray, and uh, it's one of those ones I hadn't bought yet, and. I was like, ah, let's watch something like that. And we watched that. And I watching that movie, I had this feeling that John Milius um, came out of watching like Bonnie and Clyde in 1967. And he mm. said, oh, fuck, these pussies don't know how to do anything right. And so yeah. he decided I'm going to outdo them. And maybe even like I'm going to like wild bunch this up even more. Because there was mm-hmm. like, I mean, that was like both those movies, like the big deal with them was like in the late 60s, was like the, in the Hollywood system was like making these like extremely violent squibby movies and slow-mo really relishing in the violence. Um, yeah. And so Dillinger does that. And then some like basically the whole movie, it's like it's War Notes uh, playing uh, John Dillinger, the uh, mm-hmm. bank robber. Uh, and it's like basically early celebrity kind of uh, as far as like a villain in America during the depression. And I mean, it just jumps around. It tells like various vignettes until his uh, inevitable demise in front of being gunned down in front of the movie theater. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, mm-hmm. he plays uh one. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, Richard Dreyfus. He is like just a, a psychopath. Like he is like a total maniac. He just wants to shoot people. And it's hilarious. Cause I'm like, huh? Outside of like uh, Mr. Holland's opus. I don't recall, uh, <laughs> Richard Dreyfuss being so bloodthirsty. Yeah, but what about Bob? Well, yeah, Rem- remember yeah. that. Yeah, that's the intensity. every everybody forgets. What about Bob? Yeah. Stakeout. Yeah, another stakeout. stakeout. Uh, yeah. tribe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, some the, classic Dreyfus. Yeah, the the classic Dreyfus. Um, yeah. But oh yeah, the, oh, going back really quick to Brubaker. There's this amazing scene that like it's just uh, always stick with me. Um, so after like a hard day. 
Brubaker, he uh, retires to his uh, to his like house, like his like house that's on the like prison yard field kind of thing, and he goes into the fridge, pulls out a Budweiser, and pulls out a head of uh, cauliflower. He, he uh, cracks that bad boy in half, and he goes and takes a big bite out of it raw. This is uncooked, and then he sits mm-hmm. out on the uh, patio of of his, of his house there, and he starts eating it, drinking the beer, and then he passes out. But like it does like a crossfade <laughs> from like or it goes to black, and then when it comes back, he's like now falling asleep. But like his beer and his cauliflower are perfectly placed on the table. Like he just like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like well, man. What have you never done that? You've never, uh, you know, just gotten a, gotten a drink on and no. gnawed on a head of cauliflower. I mean, we've all been there. That's I, border, borderline alcoholics. We've all been gnawing on them cauliflowers. Yeah, on your greens. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, that that does sound amazing, though. Yeah. Food scenes like that are always amazing. It's yeah. like in Cobra when Stallone cuts yeah. the piece of pizza with the scissors, and you're just like, what the. F- Talk. yeah but that stuff sticks with you and it, i'll never yeah. forget that yeah, my no, whole that, life. that'll haunt you it'll haunt yeah. you for the rest of your days i don't think he even knows I th- i'm pretty sure people ask him he's like i don't know what cobra is he just denies the movie even exists to get away from that pizza scene uh i can't say this is like an obvious trivia thing i think but i don't know if i mentioned to you that apparently like cobra originated from like when sylvester stallone was going to do beverly hills cop and yeah. Cobra was that script, I guess, at one point, and then it kind of went on on its own. But uh, okay. that being said, Cobra is better than Beverly Hills Cop. Fuck I, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. just outstanding. Cobra rules, man. Bridget Nielsen, Stallone, it's got it all. Yeah, it's hot it's, rods. It is, it is everything I ever want from an '80s action movie. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's outstanding. Um, yeah. So uh, I guess we'll maybe quickly talk about some news. If you have any news you want to bring to the attention of listeners, um, even though they might be listening to this after the fact, actually, I find that uh, news segments on like podcasts, when you go back and listen to them years later, can be quite eye opening because you can be like, Oh yeah, that never happened. Or I remember when that was a thing. So it's, uh, yeah. it's almost like a time capsule for future people who might be listening to this. So mm-hmm. um, I was, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I have nothing. I uh, worked all day. I didn't really uh, look up anything news related. So uh, this is all on you, sir. Well, as a grad student uh, that's thoroughly deep into writing a thesis right now, I did nothing all day. So I was creeping the internet real hard. So I got all sorts of news for you. Um, But as you said, it is dated. But I mean, you know, that's some of the charm. And, you know, you can look back on this. Maybe it happened. Maybe it never did. Uh, So the first little bit... um, Unfortunately, it's a little bit of a uh, DC dump today, as oh. I was talking about Suicide Squad before. But it's it's hot news right now. Yep. So uh, apparently, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, so when Suicide Squad came out, there was a ton of negative reviews, and uh, there was a petition to uh, bring down Rotten Tomatoes because fans did not <laughs> like their uh, unfair treatment of Warner Brothers. That was nothing. There is now a guy in uh, the great states of America who is suing Warner Brothers uh, for false advertising for Suicide Squad. What, uh, what, what, what did they falsely advertise? Uh, so he believes that uh, in the trailers and all the promotions, there was tons of or a ton of the Joker. And he thought this whole movie was the Joker. Oh. Uh, Jared Leto, uh, you know him from, uh, you know, uh, my so-called wife. I'm sure that's what everyone reflects back on. Uh, But yeah, so he thought the whole movie was about the Joker and he felt cheated 
because I think the total screen time for Joker and Suicide Squad is just over seven minutes. Uh, so he wow. said that uh, not only did the ticket cost a lot of money, but he went out of his way. He had to um, he had a good amount of traveling to get to the theater to see this movie. And uh, he felt like he went under false pretenses. So he is suing Warner Brothers <laughs> Entertainment for what I can only assume is thirty dollars like like fifteen dollar ticket, and then for gas, like I don't know, what, like fifteen, like fifteen more dollars. Those, of course, would all be the uh, equivalent to uh, how much time it's going to take to actually like bring about a lawsuit against uh, yeah. a like major corporation. And unless he, unless he's representing himself, like his con- like, <laughs> oh, well, initial like, conference alone with an attorney is going to cost more than what he actually spends. So, I I heard that today, and I thought that was fairly ridiculous uh, and pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, so that that was a little bit. Uh, there was some info uh, from the director talking about those infamous tattoos on the Joker. Yeah. Uh, the so-called damaged tattoo on his face. Uh, apparently, it's because uh, Joker killed Jason Todd in the Death of the Family storyline previously before. Uh, not shown in this movie and then batman punched his teeth in uh and so he went to jail and he got grills and then so he got damage tattooed on his head because he is now damaged goods um i think whatever i don't care about that stuff anymore uh but i find in a post batman v superman world where batman kills common thugs I, this is what I said when I first saw it. The entire Suicide Squad premise doesn't really make sense anymore because it's like Batman, Batman wouldn't like capture and arrest all these supervillains when he's like wasting petty thugs yeah. left and right. So that was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That's just the other little Suicide Squad thing. Uh, there's one other DC thing I heard. Oh my uh, God. It was, yeah, it's a DC dump today, buddy, but this is what I got for you. We're going to call um, this the DC dump podcast. DC dump cast. Uh, yeah. that's my other cast, the dump cast. Yeah. Uh, apparently, um, they have announced that, uh, Black Manta will be the villain in the Aquaman movie, which is pretty obvious, I guess, if you know that yeah. lore at all. Well, I don't, uh, what, what are the other, uh, Aquaman villains? Uh, well, you got Black Manta, you got Ocean Master, wow. you got, uh, <laughs> yeah, Ocean Master, uh, you got Shark Hands, uh, not a lot of people know old Shark Hands, but... Uh, is, he, is he a man with sharks for hands? Uh, in my world, he is. Uh, in my world, he is. And uh, that's it. He's only wow. got three. Deep, so, deep. Yeah, deep stuff. Yeah, no, I'm really surprised that uh, old uh, Black Manta... Black Manta. Yeah, he's he's yeah. in there. Yeah. He's in there. Yeah, not very surprising, but uh no. then also they were talking about how Aquaman will be the Wolverine of the Justice League. So that's <laughs> that's uh the crossover uh-huh. everybody always wanted. Yeah, I don't know if uh, old uh, Jason Momoa has the uh the chops of a Hugh Jackman. So Oh, Hugh Jackman? Huge, no. Yeah, there you go. Nobody Sorry, has I the pronounced it. Yeah, it's huge, uh, huge jacked man. Yep. That is his Christian name. Yep. So get it right, yep. buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nobody has the charm or muscles that he has. So doesn't matter. So that's my DC dump, I guess. Uh, woo! You, woo! Uh, <laughs> DC. I have some other stuff, but I mean, I've been rambling for a while, so it don't really matter. Okay. Well, all right then. Um, 
I guess we'll leave it right there. And after the break, we're going to discuss the inaugural uh, film that kicked started the Criterion Collection DVD uh, collection, uh, The Grand Illusion, La Grande Illusion, right after this. Les distractions théâtrales qui leur sont permises laissent libre cours à leur imagination. Il n'y a pas que les robes qui sont courtes. Alors les cheveux coupés aussi. Les cheveux coupés ouais. Oh, alors on doit se figurer qu'on couche avec un garçon. Moi, c'était avec une brune. Une amie de ma mère, une dame tout ce qui est respectable, qui s'occupait de bonnes œuvres. C'est pas de veine parce qu'en général chez les gens bien c'est plutôt là. Connaissez-vous Marguerite, une femme ni grande ni petite, qui a les yeux troublants, un arrosé blanc, une petite couche d'enfant, et bien cette beauté suprême. De ses rêves, de cette inaction, du désir de rejoindre les camarades du front, naît l'idée d'évasion. L'évasion devient une obsession ou un sport. T'es trop Pour m'évader je me déguise en taupe 
En vase clos, les individualités s'exaspèrent. En dehors de toutes les conventions admises, des affinités réunissent les hommes par-dessus les frontières. Affinités populaires. Vous parlez bien le français Oui, j'ai travaillé chez Gnome à Lyon. Sans blague. Moi aussi. Affinité aristocratique. J'ai connu euh, un bois dieu à Berlin. Un compte de Ah oui C'est mon cousin. Il y a 18 mois qu'on est ensemble et on se dit encore vous. Je dis vous à ma mère et vous à ma femme. Bonjour You understand that if you do not obey my order now, I'll have to shoot. Je vous demande pardon. En dépit des conventions aussi, les affinités sentimentales apportent l'espoir. Was machen Sie hier? Français. Franzose, verstehen? Pardon, die nicht bon. Ich habe keine Angst. Pendant 18 mois, je me suis fait engueuler, j'ai jamais rien compris, mais son allemand à elle, je comprends tout. Venez voir la réalité dans la grande illusion. And, and we're back. And for our first film to be truly discussed on the Criterion Creeps podcast, we have Spine Number One, Grand Illusion, directed by Jean Renoir, 1938. Um, the first thing I should mention about this film is it's kind of, uh, it's in a weird spot because it's not in print anymore. It is actually, it's out of print. Um, And I remember this only because we were doing the show and I was looking it up. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the reason why. So back in the day, um, Criterion had licensed um, a bunch of Studio Canal-owned films. And that deal they had uh, ended in early 2010. So back then, there was like a whole bunch of like good movies, uh, lots of French stuff uh, mm -hmm. that just like got pulled because Criterion didn't have the license to sell them anymore. So those films all got to go out of print and now all go for... And like a hundred plus dollars each kind of thing. Um, and, and this has been a, this is like a real shitty thing. Cause there's like, well, like for instance, the third man, uh, that was released, uh, initially when they, okay. So when Criterion was doing their Blu-rays way back when, um, they put them in like these kind of like cardboard boxes, um, which were very different than what they would go on to do later. Cause people did not like the cardboard packaging cause they were going eco-friendly, but people were just like, no, I don't give a fuck about the environment. I want nice plastic cases like these are really flimsy and get damaged so those only lasted a very short period of time and so they came out with the uh, i don't want to say amore case but the clear case that we all kind of know now um but it was like within like a year that that third man uh blu-ray went out of print because of that studio canal license deal ending and so that motherfucker that thing goes for like two three hundred bucks like it's expensive mm -hmm. as hell i still i have my old uh, dvd of it uh of criterions but yeah like the nice blu-ray of it's uh not available anymore and the thing that really stinks is studio canal re-released uh the third man on blu-ray north america um and i guess probably europe as well and its blu-ray is nowhere near as good picture wise as the criterion mm -hmm. one which is really weird because you think that they would uh own by default that uh print or that um 
restoration, but I guess Criterion maybe didn't play ball on that front. I don't know. I'm not accusing them of like not making their sources available because I wouldn't blame them necessarily if Studio Canal didn't sign their license deal for whatever reason. But oh well, I guess they've started though to re-release some stuff or starting to deal Studio Canal again. So we'll see how that goes. Anyway, the so Grand Illusion is available on Blu-ray. Studio Canal has put it out, and the Blu-ray does look a lot better than the old Criterion, which was you know obviously number one, and it looks like an early generation DVD of a 1938 movie. Um, so that is kind of where that is. So it's like kind of weird. Like you have this like whatever 850 movies now in the Criterion Collection and number one uh, is not available from the Criterion Collection. But that doesn't stop us because we're resourceful creeps here on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I guess I'll just talk a little bit about the, what this movie is. Um, kind of paraphrasing recapping uh two french aviators in the first world war are shot down and put into a series of pow camps uh the two uh there's captain uh de Bledou, uh played by uh, pierre fresnay and uh lieutenant marshal uh played by uh, jean gabin uh versus eric von stroheim's uh von raufenstein um who's mm. kind of actually one of the kindliest german uh, prison wardens you'll ever meet. <laughs> he looks badass. Though. He looks so fucking badass. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of the I don't even know if you call it trials and tribulations of prisoners of war because it seems like they have it not too bad. Um, and yeah. and so the so the film kind of falls initially. Uh, so they get shot down by von Rothstein in the field in the combat. So there's no hard feelings there. Um, the captain de Baudu and uh, Rothstein they meet briefly. Uh, before uh, uh, Baldu is taken into custody. And they have like a mutual respect for one another. Uh, they both are of the aristocratic um, group, like grouping. They're of a higher class than uh, many of the other soldiers. So there's a mutual respect there. And so Marshal, just by chance, is gets on well with Baldu. And so uh, Marshal kind of gets uh, well treated. Uh, this is more in the second act, I guess, of the movie. But they wound up uh, hanging out with befriending their uh, comrades who are also prisoners um of note is uh one of the other um officers uh rosenthal uh played by marcel dalio and uh so the first third of the movie is set in their the initial pow camp and it's kind of just building toward their initial first escape um before they can do it they find out that they are going to be moved and we kind of we get a series we get a montage that I found actually kind of confusing the first time I watched it. Um, yeah. Where, okay, this is maybe getting into the review part of it. So anyway, they get moved and they kind of like, they get moved to more and more prison camps and they escalate to like a f- giant fortress um, kind of near the, in, near Switzerland actually, or closer to Switzerland, but out somewhere north east, I'll guess. Um, and that's where they re- meet Ralphenstein, who's the kind of a head there. And since his victor- victorious shooting down of Bilodeau and Marshall, uh, he's been in a plane crash of some sort. And so he's got like the full body, like stirrups and neck brace because his back's been broken and dueling scar and whatnot. He's great. Um, and so the whole film's kind of like the one big escape the that uh, Bilodeau helps Marshall and Rosenthal uh, go on. And then the third act is kind of life on the outside, um, 
this kind of like really great little pastoral segment uh, where we meet a uh, woman who uh, lives on a farm who's basically widowed uh, from her husband and like brothers and fathers and everyone who've gone gone to war or have died in the war and sort of that's kind of uh the film as it is so uh, i guess i'll talk about jean renoir first um i've only seen i've only seen a couple of his movies before this um Baudu Saved from Drowning and Rules of the Game both also part of the Criterion Collection which I think I imagine most people have only really watched uh, Renoir movies from the Criterion Collection um and I found both those movies all right um Rules of the Game I think like everything I was reading about uh, Grand Illusion seemed to be like people just prefer Rules of the Game um and I just thought it was okay. It's not my kind of story. It's been a while. We'll obviously at some point rewatch Rules of the Game and maybe my opinion of it will change. But it's just a movie that the story didn't really appeal to me. I didn't really... None of the filmmaking necessarily stood out to me. It seemed like very much a movie of its time. Um, and Badu Saved from Drowning. Uh, that seemed to be a movie that was really about uh, one performance. And again, kind of a story that I'm like, I don't really care about class necessarily in the way that these mm-hmm. films did um i don't know if that's a con- like, obviously class is still an issue to this day in our uh world now but not in the way that these films were handling them at the time they were almost uh terribly polite about it mm-hmm. um have you seen any renoir films before grand uh, this was the first actually the uh, inaugural yes the <laughs> renoir the Renoir films. Yeah. Uh, Renoir. Not, Renoir. Uh, no, this was the first one, actually. I've uh, heard about him through several different means. Definitely this movie and uh, Rules of the Game and stuff like that. But uh, no, this was my first foray into there. And I have some, uh, I have a pretty good idea of what he's all about. I actually yeah. saw that he uh, was a pilot as well. And he got shot down and he got a shot in the leg. And he was lived a very similar tale to this grand illusion yeah so i think so from what i i sort of i thought initially but then i was like i think yeah when i was listening to the commentary track or reading one of the essays i guess it's like he was a pilot but i don't think he himself was shot down it's uh it's him he heard uh someone he flown flew with or served with told him these stories and he basically kind of took those and extrapolated uh, into them, i think um so he stole them is what you're saying yeah so he's a, he's a dirty rotten liar which actually brings me to um my first <laughs> criticism of this movie uh this is a liar movie there's absolutely no magic in this grand illusion so i don't know what <laughs> he was getting on about but oh, uh <laughs> it's false okay it's false. Yeah. um okay so I guess for as far as my thoughts of this movie, uh, this movie looks great. Um, I mean, right. I mean that in the sense that, like, just like on a technical level, this movie looks like twenty years ahead of its time. Like those, like that moving camera drifting into those into those rooms. Like you really feel like, uh, like it's like obviously they're shooting a lot of this on sets. Like right? there's like the exter- the uh, the uh, exterior shots are obviously shot on location, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's in- interior shots. They feel like they're part of like the building and the architecture that they're setting up in those exterior shots. But like, and they're moving inside of that in a way that like it really it stands out, but in a good way. Um, it really just yeah. feels like super sophisticated uh, for that era. Um, I mean, uh, la- or earlier this year, um, I was kind of on a re- watching um, Oscar winner uh, movies as well as uh, there's like the Danny Perry alternate Oscars list of mm-hmm. movies that he should have he thinks should have won Best Picture, and the two movies from nineteen sorry. Thir- uh, 
1937. I mean, have I been saying 1938? You've been saying 1938. I was just waiting to correct you. Um, 1937. I don't know where I got that in my head. But so I'm comparing it to uh, the movie that, um, to Life Life of of Emile Zola and comparing it to Stage Door. Um, Both Mm -hmm. are okay. Stage Door's got like a super amazing screenplay. Um, And Life of Emile Zola, which is just, I remember being just kind of long and just okay. Um, Grand Illusion blows them out of the water just as far as like production and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, I was, I was talking to, uh, my friend Steven, uh, who likes grandpa movies (laughs) and, um, he, he, like I was mentioning grand illusion and I was talking about this with him and he kind of mentioned like how like the French film industry in 1938 was so far ahead of everybody else in that period of time that like, Mm -hmm. it's kind of forgotten like how far ahead they were because obviously that thing world war ii kind of happens like oh, and the occupation yeah. kind of sets back their film industry uh you know a bit um yeah. so yeah those tracking shots huh yeah actually um that was one thing that i noted too there's some really amazing shots there like i think there's one it's either in a bar or like the canteen in the first POW camp. Yeah. And uh, everyone's kind of standing there and it's just kind of zooming out. And as it zooms out, it passes and like an, it passes a person and then it passes another person. And you just kind of see their coats lining up the whole time you're zooming out. And it just, it looks great. Um, there's another shot later. Uh, some of the castle shots are really good when you get the big long stairwells and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when the breakout is happening at that time and uh, the uh, super badass uh, captain of the castle, he's kind of walking up the stairs. That was a really great shot as well. But uh, I got to say, so that guy, I wrote this down and I could be wrong, but like uh, the only, I just imagined <laughs> that he's the basis for like stereotypical badass old dude for a lot of things and like when i first saw him with the scars and the neck brace and stuff all i could think of was um baron i think his name is yeah <laughs> that uh, and, uh baron oh, fuck, I think it's baron von strucker or <laughs> it's von, like yeah yeah baron well, von strucker i think that's absolutely 100 percent where like uh like jack kirby whoever actually drew him for the first time would have been like oh yeah it's eric von stroheim because he's yeah. like he's so teutonic even though he wasn't german at all but i mean yeah. von stroheim yeah, exactly. It was that guy, but then it was also um, I think his name's Hair Star, like in the Preacher oh. <laughs> comic. Yeah. So I've only read uh, the first two trades of that, but uh, I know that guy, and I know that big scar eye face and stuff. And I was, I know old Garth. He's a a fan of these old war movies. So yeah. I was like, hmm, I wonder where that came from. Yeah. But yeah, that guy looks great, and he's walking through stuff, and all his dialogue is awesome. But yeah, the tracking shots are great. And, uh, yeah, it just looks great. It looks very good. Um, looks yeah, good. The score by Joseph Cosma uh, was really good. That opening, the opening credits of that movie are pretty great with the, sort of like the, the text falling forward. I thought that was mm-hmm. uh, pretty nice. Um, let's see here. I, I, when I was watching it, I became really aware that, like, I had really not watched very many movies about World War One until, like, God, I, Lawrence of Arabia I'd seen, obviously, years ago, or, like, Paz of yeah. Glory. But then, like, just this year when I was doing, again, that uh, Academy Awards Best Picture thing was, like, All Quiet on the Western Front in Wings, which I only just mm-hmm. watched. But those movies were really interesting because, like, they were made, like, you know, 10 years after the war. Um, and then, like, so this movie, Grand Illusion, I mean, it was made, like, 20 years yeah 20 years after the fact and i mean right before world war ii 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, a lot of the, it's like, there's that tension, I guess, um, about yeah, I, the war right around the corner and things aren't going to get any better. <laughs> I think you see that, but I think like, and this kind of delves into the movie, like as a whole more, like my take on this is this whole movie, like it's more about like in that world war one, that pre world war two kind of mentality people have especially like in wars and armies and stuff like that like it's very dignified it's very like structured and that's like the whole um von stroker or wolfen <laughs> wolfenstein R- ralfenstein uh, ralfenstein his whole his whole jam about you know like royal families or like good military families and stuff like that and being proper i think it's more a, it's more of a comment on like that pre World War II world world where kind of there were these rules that people had. There was this kind of respect for people. So I don't know. Like I felt like it was very romantic in that sense. Yeah. Like maybe it wasn't at the time. Maybe at the t- like as you said, the POWs have it pretty good. Like they can <laughs> receive parcels. Uh, that yeah. one guy, uh, he's get, he's getting uh, American cigarettes somehow. So like they're all living pretty fine. Like they have a bunk. They can like do whatever they want. Um, oh, so it's it's yeah. very different from like what. Y- not even like 10 years later what would happen like what real people would do and like what we know now people mm. are capable of so i feel like i feel like it's kind of light in that sense but yes. again maybe at the time like it mm. wasn't i guess because yeah. that stuff hadn't happened yet right well i think yeah uh, on the commentary track uh i think uh, peter cowie my boy uh he refers <laughs> to the film uh like the the tone of the film that it's meticulous though the grime is perhaps underestimated it seems uh, yeah. like yeah it doesn't seem like the space is exactly lived in like it doesn't like i don't know i think of like um uh something like hunger <laughs> which is okay, like yeah. that that's squalid and horrifying like i should be afraid and like not want to be in prison at all whereas <laughs> i find like uh the situation like, any of the prisons that we see and the, the two real situations we see in the movie um they're not they don't seem that bad it seems like if you actually do exactly what you're told to do it wouldn't be such a bad thing to yeah. stick it out <laughs> but yeah it wouldn't be bad it's like uh the adam sandler longest yard it's mm. like you just play ball man and you'll you'll be fine just don't don't uh, cross any lines and don't, don't piss anybody off don't get raped by steve austin or a great by steve austin. yeah <laughs> so but i mean that in that sense like it's it was pretty playful that movie too yeah. like there were some fights but i mean nelly got those shoes and that cake and he was tearing <laughs> up the field so i don't know yeah it's i i thought that too i was like they're they're treated pretty good and i don't know if it's like Looking at it now, it seems like mm. romanticism, yeah. or, but I feel like that's kind of hard, hard, like a hard thing to put on it because, as I said, at the time, it probably wasn't viewed like that. Sure. Well, because yeah, I kind of made a little list of uh, uh, POW uh, movies I've seen. Um, so I mean, like, there's like Bridge on the River Kwai. Um, Robert Bresson's Man Escaped. Uh, there's like Stalag 17, which is Billy Wilder. Um, yep. There's uh, an, a, another, well, so Man Escaped was a Criterion that's going to be one day watched. Merry okay. Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Um, uh, my man, David yeah, Robert Jones. Bose, yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, so I mean, there's like Deer Hunter, Rescue Dawn. Uh, there's like Peter Weir's The Way Back. There's like, it's a, it's a little like subgenre, right? Yeah. Um, yep. And I feel like like some of those like I'd say that probably the one that like really sticks out to me like where it really captures like 
uh, a desperation of wanting needing to escape is a man escaped um which mm-hmm. just um yeah like you're really like this place is like yeah you're going to get shot if you don't get out of here obviously mm-hmm. that's like a different story altogether yeah i think the setting helps too though because like as you said rescue dawn like i think that movie has desperation pretty good but it's like a different kind of desperation yeah. it's not like like they're just like they're just starving and they're in a jungle and christian bale's like eating bugs and shit and he's like we gotta get out of here and uh, steve zahn gives the performance of his lifetime hugging that shoe and but like that i think that movie does it too but it's a different setting right like i don't know because their camp where was their camp like it was in the jungle and it was just like a little hut with like eight dudes in there just chained to the floor (laughs) Is that not? Um, do I have that movie completely wrong, or is is that how it went? Uh, probably. What, wait, what movie is this again? Rescue Dawn. Yeah, oh, Rescue Dawn. So with, mm, with yeah, the no, that's Chris so Bale. that's that's like the sub sub genre of POW movies uh, of Vietnam, and that's like yeah. the worst shit ever. That's like yeah. you 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 want to be treated like a dog and just like fucking the worst crap imaginable to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the that rescue dawn kind of is about that. And it's like, yeah, yeah you definitely want to get away from that. Um, mm-hmm. But so, yeah. But, uh, okay. Paths of Glory shows that good too. Like that whole, well, that's that, a very good, like anti-war, that, like got to get away kind of thing because they can't. I don't know. You know what I mean? I know. You know what I mean about Paths of Glory, buddy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So one thing I will talk about, I was mentioning kind of my recap was, so like 50 minutes in after the uh, POW3 are transferred, uh, it seems like the movie almost restarts. And we learned yeah. the three principles. Like there's, the, so when they meet uh, Ruffenstein again, um, they're mm-hmm. like, they're like, they start listing off all these like accolades that they have of, of yeah. escaping and they're really proud of it. And I was like, wait, what? Like, did I miss something? And then like, it wasn't until I was reading a Roger Ebert's review where he was like talking, like, and I realized, Oh, I misread that whole montage of them going from prison to prison. I didn't realize that those characters were being transferred to those prisons and then spending time there and then getting transferred to another prison, like almost like yeah. they're getting downgraded. Um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. I didn't yeah. get that. I thought that whole thing was like, them traveling to the castle prison. Right. Over yeah, they're just being transferred yeah. on a train that goes by these camps. Not that yeah. they've been uh like they're they're spending time and trying to break out there. Cause that's what happens is like when Ruffenstein starts reading through their dirt she- or their rap sheets mm-hmm. of like breakouts, I'm like, oh like I didn't get that from the film that oh that's what was happening there. So that's kind of like a weird like I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I thought I thought it was just a pass of time though too because yeah. like you they pass time in different ways. Like when uh the the guy with the great hair uh who with the broken arm at the start like when he has his little coup where uh they sing the french national anthem yeah he gets he gets stuck in the shoe for a while oh, man and like in movie time it's like 30 seconds but then he has that great scene where he's just like he's like it stinks like shit in here he's like i want to like talk to another person so like it tells you that he's been in there for a real long time so like later when uh wolfenstein uh yeah i know these aren't the names i don't care when wolfenstein's talking to them uh and he's like these are the things you did i just assume that those are things that happened at Mm. that same camp Uh, right yeah so like because because they had showed that like time passes without you necessarily seeing it before so i guess i was way off no i I think i think i think what we're saying is renoir fucked up it's on him, he buddy. Fucked up. Yeah, and, he fucked and, up. and he's dead. So like, yeah, so he like, got what all, he had coming. Like everyone involved in the production of the film, he's dead. Um, yeah. 
so frankly, oh, yeah. they deserved so, it. So so then yeah, like forty minutes we spend then at the uh, at the castle fortress prison, and then mm-hmm. uh, spoilers they get out, um, but not without yep. sacrifice. My God, and uh-huh. then it turns into a different movie with them like as <laughs> this pastoral film uh, mm-hmm. like at the farmhouse, and I think that was like probably the best part of the movie in some ways because. Yep. It's super tense because it really starts making you like, oh, I hope these guys get away. Like, or you keep thinking, oh man, the goddamn, the Germans are going to come. They're going to show up at the worst time and they're just going to ruin everything. That little girl uh, who's like eating Jesus. um, Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, She's going to get it. And like, it's going to be bad, man. It's going to be all bad. Um, So, but that, that was like great. And then you get, you get the whole like end of the movie and uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Overall, I like this movie. I think it's pretty good. Um, I'm, one thing I was going to get back to is, so um, this is the number one film in the Criterion Collection by default. Um, right. It's on Roger Ebert's great movies list. And apparently Orson Welles says it, said it is one of two films he would have brought onto the arc with him. The second being Batman v Superman, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, um, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, I disagree. Um, yeah. but do you know what the actual second movie he would be taking with him is? Do I do I actually know what that is? No. I, yeah. No. Uh, or did, does anybody know? Or is it like his kind of thing where he's like, "Well, it'd be my movie, fuckhead." Well, like it's Citizen that, Kane, that'd obviously. The, that'd be the smart thing to say, but I'm sure he yeah. he probably had something else in his mind. Um, uh, to to be quite honest, uh, and just coincidentally enough, I would take Spine Number Two, uh, Seven Samurai, is one of the two movies over this one whoa, in a heartbeat. Whoa, whoa, there. Slow down there. This is this is episode number one. Sir. Yeah, I I know. I'm I'm just jumping ahead, but yeah. no, I would I wouldn't do that. If if you asked me next uh, next episode what my two arc movies would be, they would be vastly different. But I mean, yeah, oh, that's what I mean. Ren, Renoir lived in a world where there weren't montages of dudes flexing. So, <laughs> like, what are you gonna do? Doom, doomsday. <laughs> yeah, Battle doomsday scenes. with uh, J- Jesse Eisenberg hadn't been born yet, and scarred uh, over genitalia can, can and you, just <sighs> weird like dorsal fins and stuff like that yeah like i don't know that's just yeah i don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't pick that movie but uh maybe next week i'll have my actual picks and i guess well i don't know how long did orson wells live to like 1950 uh, uh well he was around for the transformers the movie um which, uh, I, which I believe Michael just Bates had its like i think it just had its like 30th anniversary um oh the, you mean the cartoon the you ca- don't mean michael Bates? yeah no the the fake cartoon one yeah okay yeah um yeah no so uh yeah orson wells uh he died after 1950 that's for sure i'm gonna um, go out on a limb here i'm not sure but i'm pretty confident the reason he did die was because this was one of his picks okay that's yeah. That sounds legit to me. I think he was wrong, and uh, I yeah. think he paid the price for it. Okay. So that's my hot take. Fine. That's my hot take, buddy. Yeah. So um, one thing I'd like to uh, throw out there is, I guess I also listened to the commentary track for the uh, on this release of uh, Grand Illusion, which was right. with uh, the aforementioned uh, my boy Peter Cowie, uh, uh-huh. an, an Englishman. Um, it is not a very good commentary track. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's, it's super academic. 
Um, oh, it's, boring. It's, it's very dull. Like there's this bits where, okay, it's academics, the wrong word to use. Cause I think there's good academic ways of talking about film, but this is one where it is like just literally talking about what's happening on the screen and like describing how this narratively plays into a scene further down. And it's like, yeah, no, I, I know I can see that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe not everyone's like a good close viewer of film and maybe they'd find it enlightening. I didn't. Um, but yeah, but I, I have to give John Q public a little credit. It's like, okay, you might not see it coming, but mm-hmm. you will when you see it. So it's like, you don't need to be like tapped on the shoulder and like winked at like, Hey, you see this, this is going to be something else later. Get it. <laughs> is that what you mean? Well, like, just, just like, what it sounds uh, like, it's just like, almost like he walks through the room through the door. And it's kind of like, okay, now you're describing what's happening. Like, it's like, kind of like, I'm not blind. Um, I don't need like a a visual or a audio aid to describe what's happening visually. And that's sometimes like at times it's like that. And other times it's just like factoids, but uh, it doesn't seem to be really fully engaged with uh, the cinema. Like uh, compared to next week's film, um, Seven Samurai, which has a heck of a good commentary track. uh, Mm -hmm. we're, We're like, you know, we start talking about, know telephoto lenses or just and just talking about moving cameras and like staging and stuff like that there's far more like it seems like more interest in talking about that which i think is a great tool for what uh, a criterion or any commentary track should be Mm. i guess i think you're getting ahead of yourself pal i mean we're on spine one here what are you doing you're jumping ahead what are you doing this is ridiculous i know this is bad Uh, bad this is bad bad hosting yeah um just bad one of my sad one one, sad one of my favorite bits was uh i think uh, at one point uh peter cowie mentioned something about uh uh the one of the themes of the film is language and uh and how and how language is important to communication and like how the film (sighs) demonstrates that you know, uh, as my buddy John Madden would say, what you want to do in a football game is win more points than the other team. Uh, that is a real John Madden uh, quote, and I feel that is very similar to what your good personal friend here has to say. Um, I mean, does that really need to be said? I, it just seems like I don't know if that film has any like real thoughts on that other than like this grander detail of just like uh, unity of nations or like uh, preventing future wars um which i guess like comes down to uh one of the big questions i had for you on this was Uh what is the grand illusion i already told you i I don't know because this horseshit movie has zero magic um i don't know i i was thinking about that whole the whole time and i think a really obvious and like probably not right answer would be that maybe there's civility in in these settings like in this war that what you're doing has some sort of uh goal i don't know if that's nihilistic or not but it like the way it ends it's like we escaped so we can go back to the army and then we can end the war it's like uh it's like did you not like just live like five years in pow camps not five years but like uh, you know what I years. mean? Yeah, it's a couple it, years. It was a couple years at least because that's like the whole thing they say too. Like when they first get there, they're like, we're digging a tunnel. And it's like, is the war going to last that long? Yeah. So I think, I don't know. I The way I took it is that this illusion is that war has an actual end or a reason to be there. Like it's just all there for nothing. And unless you meet a hot Dutch lady with a kid who uh, eats little wooden Jesuses, 
then I guess there is a reason that you're there. But yeah. other than that, I couldn't tell you, man. I don't know if you have an answer for it or or what. I think like the only interpretation that I could come up with that I don't think is goes along with the, what the film was going to say at all. But it's just like the grand illusion that war is uh, avoidable. Yeah, that that we're, that we're somehow better to then not fight. But I think that the in the movie it seems like it's almost well. I mean, particularly in the time that that movie came out, um, whatever it was, uh, it's not like the grand the movie Grand Illusion didn't work. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't it didn't stop World War Two. World War Two preceded, and many many wars have preceded since then. Yeah, um, even with the knowledge of the fact that war stinks, you shouldn't you shouldn't go yeah. to war, and uh, th- that seems to be like that's like a dark kind of non end or it's a, it's a weird interpretation because it doesn't like i don't think that's really how the film plays out mm-hmm. but it seems like that is the only way for me to interpret well, it yeah like that's what i mean like at the end when they're leaving they're like yeah we'll leave and we'll join up again and then we'll end this war and it's just like well that's not really how this stuff works like no so i i i guess that's what it means maybe but yeah. i don't know man yeah i could who who really knows who who can know for sure? Not Renoir. He's dead. He's dead. He doesn't care anymore. I, I yeah. guarantee you he doesn't care anymore. Yeah. Um, so. so, oh, as a little bookend, since I had some time, I also uh, popped in The Great Escape. Um, just to Ooh. see as a uh, compare and contrast. Um, yeah. It was fine. <laughs> it, it has this, Steve like, McQueen didn't do it for you? No. Okay. Uh, Steve McQueen and I aren't buds, I don't think. I, yeah. so it's fine. The cast is pretty amazing. It's pretty stacked. When you see like that, that credit roll and you see all the names, it's like, man, this movie looks amazing. And I'd seen yeah. it, I'd seen it years ago. Like I think I watched it in shop class in grade mm. nine back when you'd have like, it's cause it's a dad movie. So unsurprisingly, oh, yeah. my shop teacher was a dad and probably just figures that everyone should like great, but great escape. It's Stephen like, Queen. Yeah. It's fucking great. And I don't know. It's very, it's a widely shot movie. Uh, John Sturgis directed it. Um, and it's very slow. The first two hours are pretty, like, just both set up. Yeah. They, they, they inevitably have an escape. Um, and then the last hour, which is the best part, is just about them getting recaptured in various parts of Europe, either getting captured or killed. And mm-hmm. that's... I guess that's the grand illusion. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And yeah, that's that, what you, it was. that you could ever escape, that the war will ever end. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So yeah. I don't know. And Great Escape is a movie that I don't really feel like I ever really have to watch again. Um, mm-hmm. I I would probably watch Grand Illusion again. So it yeah. wins that fight. Okay. Uh, Steve McQueen to me is kind of a charisma black hole i I, yeah. I kind of understand why people would find him interesting at in like the 60s but mm-hmm. i for the most part he basically if he wasn't in any of the movies that i've seen it would be he could be replaced with anybody um yeah. he's kind of the michael fasten fasten bender <laughs> yeah sure whatever he's the michael Fassbender of Fa- his place in yeah time. fasten bender fasten yeah bender. yeah a yeah. guy who sells tickets now but you know yeah. Same, he's going. He's going similar. out like Bradley Cooper he's a and body. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Nobody's gonna care in a couple of years. Yeah, and that's just sad. Steve McQueen, the fast and bender of his generation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, but you well, know, who, you know who is special though? The catfish, Charles Bronson. That's the, right, the catfish himself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew he was in that jam, and you know what? Anytime that that fucker's on screen in any movie, you can't help but smile because he just he does something, you know. <laughs> yeah, he sends shivers down my spine. There you go. Um, so 
going back to the grand illusion, I just I think you know how I feel about this, but I had I had a few notes and I just want to share them with Hit you. Hit me with them, baby. Because I wrote I love these notes. while I was watching the film and looking Whoa. back at them now, I think they are uh, just ripe with interpretation. So the first thing I wrote was black and white. So in case you didn't know, this film is in black and white. Uh, I feel like that's important to know because some people might not know that. Uh, the second thing I wrote down was monocles. There is an insane amount of fucking monocles in this movie. It is absolutely insane. So many dudes twisting in those monocles like deep into their skulls. It's insane. I've never seen such such a thing ever. It was the time and place. It was the time and place. To be black and white and monocled. And monocled. Uh, the third was uh, vegetarians. Because uh, there is one vegetarian in the show, and he gets dumped on constantly. <laughs> his whole his whole gripe is about how his wife cheats on him with his brother because his brother eats red meat. Uh, and I thought that was both sad and really funny. And and that was actually the other thing. I thought this movie had some pretty good humor in it. Um, I don't know what it was like. There there were just certain like subtle th- ways people talk to each other. I thought was funny like. And there was one scene where they needed a guy to go outside to check on things. And uh, the guy with the great hair is like, why don't you go outside? Um, you got an innocent face. And then the camera pans over and it's this totally disheveled dude, all dirty face with like messy hair. And, you know, I thought that was funny. That's the kind of stuff I like. So, <laughs> uh, But what about men dressed as ladies? The funniest thing ever? Uh, I, I kind of had the reaction uh, the entire time room had when the guy puts on the dress and he's like it's funny right it's funny and everyone's just kind of staring at him mm. and nobody says anything he's like don't you guys think it's so funny uh so I, I was in that camp but i also think in the movie i wasn't sure if they were like they were just like fuck this really sucks or if they were like Ooh, that dude looks like a lady uh, as uh, <laughs> look at those Steve, gams yeah as aerosmith would say dude looks like a lady and uh they were just into that so yeah. I didn't really know how to take that, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't much care for that part. Yeah, um, probably my favorite scene of the whole movie um, was yeah. the bit where it's like in the first camp, and the the prisoners, the soldiers, they're yeah. kind of looking out the window, and they're talking about the uh, the like I think they're like it's like the the German anthem is being sung or whatever by a bunch of cadets. Uh-huh. But then there's this thing talking about, it's like, oh, it's not the music that catches you into it, like this motion. It's the sound of the boot steps. And then it's just like, a, you just get the shot of the soldiers looking out the window and you just hear that stomping boot steps thing, which is yeah. just like very much like, oh yeah, Nazi Germany. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just like super good. And um, that's like probably the best, my favorite scene in the whole movie that anything that doesn't involve Eric von Stroheim, that was probably my favorite bit. And then, yeah, yeah that the whole last act is good. Um, and then, I mean, in some ways, uh, symbolizing the end of a discussion about Grand Illusion is the question of, did we do it? Did we make it into Switzerland? I didn't make it into Switzerland. No. That, I'll tell you that much. We, we had a uh, trigger-happy uh, German soldier uh, peg yeah. us off on the yeah. on a snowy um, mountainside. So, yeah, arrow to the knee or something, buddy, because uh, I think we did make it in. Uh you know, I, I liked this Grand Illusion. I thought it was a pretty good joint. Uh, it's definitely not one of my ARC movies. Uh, definitely not if I only get two. But even if I got ten, I don't think I would bring this one. Um, <laughs> no. Not that it's bad or anything. It's no, just, it's absolutely not a bad yeah. movie. It's good. It's pretty good. 
uh, but uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't hit me. Uh, you know where the sun shines. So mm-hmm. mm. yeah, that's that's about. It. I think we made it. Yeah, outstanding. But well, I did I do think I got pegged in the leg or something. So okay. we did make it, but uh, not unscathed. Not unscathed. That's yeah. that's beautiful, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think we'll leave it at that. All our, right. Our uh, our hot take on the grandest illusions. Um, it's especially hot take because I think we're the first people to ever talk about this movie. Prob- it's pretty new. Um, probably. Yeah. yeah, I don't think a lot of people know about it, and uh, it's new. It's hot on the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone was going to that Suicide Squad. Nobody even bothered to go see Grand Illusion this weekend. Yeah, so. bunch of chumps. Bunch of chumps. Um, well, you know, I did uh, uh, go on to Letterbox, and I was just curious how many people are fans uh, of uh, the Grand Illusion. Grand Illusion on Letterbox has all of thirty-seven fans. Um, mm. 5,720 people have watched it, and it has an average rating of 4.2. Um, when I, pretty hot take. Yeah, when I, I figured out, like, the proportion of people who consider, are fans of it uh, to how many people have watched it, it's got a 0.65% conversion rate, um, mm. which, I mean, if you want to compare it to something, uh, Fight Club is 4.06%. Which is even higher than next week's film, Seven Samurai. That's a tragedy. Tragedy. Yeah, I think the internet has done as many bad, wrong things as it has great things. Yeah, well, that's one of them. Yeah, that's one of them right there. Yeah, um, there's a reason Fight Club's not in the Criterion Collection. Uh, or is it? I don't know. If it, it is, it, I don't it, care. Hey, uh, as of uh, August 2016, it is still not in the Criterion Collection. <laughs> Well, there you go. They do like that David Fincher, though. That's I, true. Don't, I, I, I think we I, all like David Fincher. But that's, that's a discussion for uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, though. Um, uh, okay. That'll be at some point in the distant future. Anyways, uh, I think we'll leave our Grand Illusion discussion here. And uh, after the break, we'll see you there.
I think that's the end of the first show, RJ. Well, I don't think we made it through this one into Switzerland. Oh, uh, you changed well, your tune. Yeah, well, we were trying to. I mean, we had uh, some power outages. We had some uh, some cats in closets. We had people walking through. So yeah, it was a it was a tough hard show, but you know, I guess we made it. Yeah, the uh, the old uh, Grand Illusion. Uh, I don't know. I think the Grand Illusion is to be successful at podcasting. <laughs> there's no magic there either that's uh, another bullshit well, lie right out of the gate we're we're yep. fucked folks um, there you go well next week um if all goes according to plan um we'll be discussing talking about a little film that many consider one of the greatest films of the 20th century if not all times and that is Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai are you ready uh, I guess. I mean, we're going to do it anyways, so. Yeah, fuck it. Fuck it. Let's do it. All right. Well, you've been listening to Criterion Creeps. This is Jarrett. And RJ. Good night. Peace out, homies. <laughs>